Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Rachel Hollis podcast. Today, I am sitting down with actress and now author Priyanka Chopra. We talk about creative ritual and routine and what it has felt like to be a creative person in the last 10 months. How do you find your inspiration when you're inside of quarantine? We talk about her career, which was so inspiring because there was a really unique fact about her that I didn't know before this interview, and it I'm just still flabbergasted. We talked about all kinds of things, and most especially Priyanka's new book. And if you like this episode, make sure you take a screenshot, tag me, tag Priyanka, and let us know what you thought. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Gosh, I guess my question that I've been asking everybody this year is just, how are you doing? How's it going? How's life? You know, right? Hanging in there, babe. How are you doing? Good. 2020 was really freaking hard. I and went rough. through a divorce. Yeah. It was, oh. a, it was a rough year. But honestly, I started this year, I felt like in the beginning of January, it was like the night before a new job. Like I just was like so excited for possibility. And I know we're still not out of the woods and there's still so much pain and so much uncertainty, but I feel very hopeful. So I'm doing great. I know. And, you know, I thought that too, and I don't want to be, you know, um, what is that? Debbie, what? It's Debbie American. Downer. That, yes. Yeah, that was hard <laughs> for me to speak American sometimes, but yes, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I felt that, you know, on New Year's Eve, um, I'm in London at the moment. So I was at home with my family, just like feeling super hopeful and feeling really excited. And I, and I still feel a sense of hope, but I also do feel a sense of dread a little bit. You know, I'm going to work at this time. I started working, I started filming back in October and, you know, people are consuming so much entertainment right now that someone's got to make it right. right so right. we've got to, we've got to go to work. And I just, just now the vaccines come out, obviously when we'll have access to it, who knows, but I just feel like going on to set. And as an actor, I'm the only one who's like taking off my mask, even though it's a really safe environment. Everyone is so far away, especially from the actors we are very protected, but it's so scary. And I have to say, I still feel like the sort of the burden of what we went through in 2020, even now, every time I go to set. You know, what's so interesting about this is that I feel like even once, like you said, once we do have vaccines and once, let's say, we've moved through this, I think the emotional uh, result, like the emotional fallout of what we've all gone through 
is something we won't even process for a while. You know, that, and I think it, we're, that you're absolutely right. I don't even think people realize how this is going to affect us and kids right. specifically, right. you know, right. like kids yes. who've been at home and not being able to meet friends or be in school and even study. Actually, so many kids have not been able to have access to online education because they don't have computers, you know, right. and they don't have access to Wi-Fi around the world. So, you know, it's it's like an unprecedented amount of uncertainty. My my best friend just had a son during quarantine and she and I were talking about how he's not seen anyone besides his parents like and he's almost going to be one and she's like whenever someone comes home and even if they're like outside and we meet them he starts crying and seeing strangers and I know it's like and I felt like my heart went out to him but it's we don't even realize the the mental trauma that I think this year has probably had on people Absolutely. Or even just the like holding those emotions, right? Holding that fear, holding that anxiety, you know, for your girlfriend and other women I know who've given birth in the last 10 months, it's already so freaking hard. And then you have this added element of, for many of them, they're removed from the community who would help them with this baby, who would bring over the casserole, who would do the thing, you know, everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. I think everybody will walk out of this experience having carried some trauma through it, carried some hardship. And I'm curious, what have you done in the last, you know, over these last 10 months? Are there things that you've done that have helped you emotionally, like moving your body or therapy? Or is there anything that you've done that you feel like tactically really helped you despite how stressful it was? Definitely. Two or three things that I did and um, have been so helpful to me. One is randomly, when we first quarantined in March, it was me, my husband, and my cousin and her family. And so it was a bunch of us. We were about six of us who had quarantined for about four months together. We used to do this thing where every night or whenever through the day, you just walk up to someone or call someone and say, all right, tell me the five things you're grateful for today. Just today. Not tomorrow, not life. But what are you grateful for right now in this moment? And it just brings you back to saying, all right, I have this. And there's so many people around the world that don't right now. And, you know, just I kept myself very, very aware of the difference between the haves and the have nots. And that kept me very, very grounded. I tried very much to help as much as I could. You know, that kept me very sane to know that, you know, a sense of privilege comes with having a home and, you know, a meal to eat. Uh, And that was, you know, something that really kept me in a very sane place and gave me a sense of purpose. Second, because I was very grateful for, you know, my family being safe, of being able to have a house and being able to quarantine, you know, where I felt taken care of. And my biggest problem was boredom. You know, I felt like in, in that world, I also decided to find a sense of purpose. So I really, you know, spun my creative mind. Actually, I finished writing my memoir during quarantine. I developed a bunch of shows on Zoom with my executive for my first look deal with Amazon. I shot two movies and released two movies, you know. So I really like put myself into whatever purpose I could find every day. And those are two things which really like a couple of things which really helped me not feel traumatized. It's so interesting that you talk about 
creativity in this time because I feel like I also felt incredibly creative. And I think it was because I'm so used to, like pre-COVID, I traveled constantly for work. Me too, and, exactly. Right? Having and then the luxury it, of yes. being home and time. Yes. Yes. I could not like, write my book before that. I used to look at the computer and be like, all right, I'll try it tomorrow. But this, just having the luxury of, time and not a schedule and not every minute being assigned to doing something on a different plane. I think that really is a, was a savior of the soul. What are some of the things that you do that help with that creative process? Do you have any routines or rituals around I, whether it's acting or writing or anything that you're creating? Is there Are there things that help you get closer to that place where you're in flow? I do think it it's different for different things. Like when I was writing mm -hmm. for me, I'm a really slow typer, like a type, like I can't keep up with my thoughts. So I need to have my pen and my journal with me. Sometimes I write and then if I can't keep up with that, then I record my thoughts. So I have to have like beverages. I have to have, um, <laughs> know. you know, meals. I have to have like I chips know exactly and snacks what you and mean. nuts. <laughs> I need to be outside under an umbrella if I can, or, you know, in a place which keeps my feet up. And um, it needs to be sort of in an environment, maybe some lo-fi music playing in the background, but I need to create an environment for me to write. But when it comes, even reading scripts, um, because when I'm, when I'm working on prep for creating characters, you know, you read your script multiple times and you write like notes about scenes and you have to think about what that is. So even within that, I think, because sometimes I'm, I'll walk around. So, you know, you need to have a space. I need to have a pen in my hand. I need to, like, there's always something to drink and something to eat. <laughs> yes. I'm the same way. I'm like, it's a joke if you look at my desk right now. I have Mine ice too, tea, I have coffee, moment. I have a bottle of water. I don't know what that is. But there's something sort of. I have juice, of... I have pomegranate, right. I have olives, right. I have crackers, right. coffee. You're like, anything could happen. I might need a snack. This is going to help. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, that's so me. I, you know, I'm trying to learn more about adding ritual to sparking creativity because I feel like for a lot of years, I am a high achiever. I'm like, I will get the A plus. I will be the teacher's pet. I will do, I'll do all those things. So I'm really good at getting the job done. But as I move into this new phase in my life, I'm excited to play and explore. And for me, a lot of that comes in creative writing and writing things that maybe are different than what people have seen from me before, because I tend to be known for a very specific category. And so that's why I ask is I'm just curious about rituals that help us kind of tap into that place so that we're more able to create. I think you touched on something so interesting that it's also wanting to evolve. And it sounds like you're the kind of person who always wants to grow and you're always Absolutely. willing to learn, you know? And I, I really believe in that, that if you're a student of life and you're willing to every single day be like, I, I don't know everything, you know, and not rest on your laurels and look for the next thing that entices you or excites you, or I think that's such a great place to be in because life is ever changing and change is the most constant thing in life. And if we don't keep up, you're going to be left behind. Absolutely. And evolution is such a large part of that. What has it been like for you? I feel like you have this, there's a fluidity in that you have been 
part of so many cultures. You are part of so many cultures. You've experienced Bollywood. You've experienced Hollywood. You're in London now. You're married to an American. Like, what do you feel like your perspective is on the world because you've been able to sort of move through all of these cultures and kind of absorb or learn from them? I, I consider myself like a global citizen. I'm an Indian by birth. You know, America is my adopted country, but I see myself like I belong to the world because it's such a small place now, you know? It's such a, we can go anywhere at the drop of a hat. It's, there's such a joy in experiencing different people. I love the adventure of experiencing different cultures. I'm curious about cultures and people, especially when someone comes from a different country, just because I've traveled so much my whole life within India, within America and within the world. So I think, it, you know, I feel like the one thing that I really think about is that we've become so divisive, sort of divisive as humans because we're so afraid of something that's different. You know, if something different comes along, you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to sound ignorant. So you kind of just like, don't say anything at all. And then there are those people who just don't like different and don't think different should exist. Right. So, you know, I think for both reasons, we've sort of created a division. And I think, you know, I was raised in a, in a home and a family where there was curiosity was encouraged. And I used to, you know, walk up to people and go to different cities. And, you know, my dad used to just pile us all into a car and we'd go for a road trip for like 10 days. And a sense of adventure and a sense of curiosity, especially about something that's different, will create so much more unity and sort of love and kindness, I think. And I, I implore people whenever I meet them that, you know, it's, it's all right if you don't know everything about everything. No one can know everything about everything. Right. When I first came to America, like you said, I married an American. I didn't know what Thanksgiving was going was supposed to be. <laughs> oh, how exciting. I, <laughs> what an exciting I didn't thing even to know. Discover. I didn't even know what are the things you do in on Christmas. Like I've celebrated Christmas, but I didn't know there was like Christmas Eve dinner and you know, the the day when you open the gifts and like all the things, you know. And I wasn't afraid to ask the questions because I wanted to bring my best foot forward. And I was okay with not knowing because, so just like that, you know, I encourage people to ask questions and be curious and, you know, educate yourself because it's such a joy to live in such a diverse world with so much, so many differences and, you know, different kinds of food, cultures, languages, people. What a joy planet Earth is. <laughs> Do you feel a certain amount of pressure in that you are, I mean, I, I think one of the most followed social media accounts that exists, if I'm not mistaken, definitely on Instagram, you have a huge following. And do you feel a certain amount of pressure in that so many people know you and that you're representing that culture and how, to, like, is there, like, I have nowhere near the number that you have and it feels like a lot of pressure. Or is that something that you well, sort of like I put over here? I feel like I'm not a head of state, you know? I just have a lot of people that like my work. So <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I don't You're so chill. You're myself, like, it's just, that's like millions and millions. I don't, fine. I just don't give myself that kind of, you know, importance, I guess. Right. But I do give importance to my job. Yeah. You know, who I am as a girl and the pictures I post or my opinions or whatever, you know, that's, a side of me, which is very my, my own, you know, no one's put me there. But when it comes to my work, 
everyone has the right to have an opinion on it because mm-hmm. that's my job. I'm in a public job. I'm creating media. I'm creating entertainment. So I've made peace with bifurcating the pressure I should take. I definitely take pressure at my, on my job. I, when a movie's coming out, like my book is coming out, I'm terrified. I've done it for the first oh time. My, gosh. my movie came out. I'm terrified what people are going to think because it's my first big you know, EP job and my first like dramatic role or whatever in America. So I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to excel at my job, but I don't try to excel at life. Right. You know, I'm a human being. I cry, I get hurt, I laugh, I feel pain. So I don't take social media so seriously. I take it as a way of connecting with people directly. I've had so much support my career well-wishers and fans that have supported me and pushed me into all the radical choices that I took and decisions to pivot my career into different parts of the world, start all over again. But I've always had like rock solid fans and people behind me. And I just use it as a way of like interacting with them. I really don't put the pressure of my career on my socials. I put the pressure of my career on my career, Mm. you know? So when you, uh, and this is probably going to sound like such a dumb question that I don't know the answer to, but coming <laughs> no, from... we just talked about asking right, questions. Right. Coming from where you started acting um, in Bollywood, is that correct? Yes, the and, Hindi film industry. It's colloquially called Bollywood. Okay. I usually don't prefer that term okay. but because it sounds like a Me Too of Hollywood. Mm. But yes, the Hindi film industry. And so... And and it, forgive me if I'm wrong, but massively successful in that space. Is that correct? Well, kind of done all right. I've done yeah, all yeah, right. you've done pretty well. <laughs> and then coming to the U.S., like you just said this line where you said, you know, having to start all over again. I thought, whoa, that's wild and fascinating. Is that what it felt like to to try and make a transition into the U.S. market? Did it feel like uh, you have to start fresh? You have to let a whole new group of people know who you are. You've got to do the PR. Did it feel like kind of starting again? Absolutely. I didn't come with the entitlement of the fact that, you know, the Hindi film industry is the largest film industry in the world. We make a thousand movies a year. It's, you know, it's in every country. And I think that I was just looking at transitioning into English language entertainment as well, because because Hindi and English are both my first languages. I grew up in, you know, speaking Hindi and English. I grew up thinking in Hindi and English and I wanted to just evolve. Now, suddenly in my 30s, I was like, all right, we're going to start, go to a new country attempt a completely new thing. (laughs) And I didn't think about sort of the repercussions of it, but I started with music initially. I was signed as a recording artist with Interscope. And then I transitioned from that. I kind of, you know, didn't find my sound the way I wanted to. And I pivoted from that into acting. It was such a hard place to come into because I wanted to be a part of mainstream entertainment. I didn't want to be a check in the box. Mm. I didn't want to be a diversity hire. And, you know, there was a lot of that sort of work coming to me. And I have to give credit to my first TV show, which was Quantico. You know, when I when I mentioned that, Kelly Lee at the time, the VP of casting for ABC said to me that, you know, I said, I don't want to do a show which is about my ethnicity and where I come from and explanation of the fact that I deserve a seat on the table. I'm an artist and I have something to say as just being an actor. And I remember her saying that, you know, 
that's my promise to you. And when I signed on Quantico and all the other scripts that they gave to me, none of them put me in a box. And I did Quantico and I was the first, you know, South Asian, which is crazy to think about, to do a network TV show in like 2015, to lead a network TV show. It was mind blowing that it was so late, but it was happening. So I had my own sort of, you know, doors to break down at that point. But because of the credibility that I had built um, with my work in India and the career that I had the privilege of having there, you know, my colleagues over over time eventually in, in America as well sort of, sort of started giving me credence for that. And, you know, I have a Amazon first look deal as a producer. I have a second look deal with CBS and Viacom as a producer. And I'm creating content now, which is all South Asian or, you know, female or minority um, centric. And you know, I didn't have that when I first started doing this. But, you know, I think credit given to a lot of really wonderful, not a lot of, but a few amazing, wonderful, you know, South Asian leaders that we have in in Hollywood. I would say like some of them, my friends, Mindy Kaling, Aziz Ansari, Hassan Minaj, Kumail, Riz, uh, you know, who are demanding being a part of mainstream pop culture and, you know, are creating content for themselves and pushing the bar and pushing the goalpost for, I think, representation and it's a great time and I'm really happy to sort of be at the precipice of that but it's that's not easy to you know do that it honestly I know I know that you've done so many things and you are so accomplished but I personally I can't think of anything more inspiring than the fact that you began again because people are afraid to leave their lives being a third grade teacher Do you know what I mean? Like people are afraid to leave lives that haven't achieved massive success. And my gut says you could have stayed. You could have done that. You could have had this glorious, amazing career where you are beloved and you're killing it. You're making all the money and it's all. But to like to have the guts to dream that you could open in a new market and conquer new world. That is so ballsy. That is so inspiring. It was, it was terrifying. I'm sure. I, remember, I think I told this story, I think in the book, but I'll, I'll tell you, which will give you an example of how it felt. I remember when I first kind of started, you know, working in LA and I was doing music and stuff like that, you know, a lot of magazines were uncovering me. And I remember walking into this one magazine and I'd been on their Indian cover five times And I walked in and I was like, hi guys, I've been on your Indian version like five times, but this is who I am. This is the kind of work I'm looking for. And having to introduce myself in spite of the fact that, you know, that's what I had done there. And I remember I I was invited to this big music party once and I was very excited about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, all the A-listers are going to be there. And I walked into this party and I was like, oh, you get into the party, but you don't get into the party. Because all the cool kids hang out with themselves. They're they're with themselves. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. And I remember my manager looked at me and she was like, babe, you know, I know what you've built and I know who you are, but I also know what you want. And, you know, it's a choice. You you have to put your head down and walk into that. Right. And I remember not knowing anyone. And I was like, don't know anybody. How do you walk into that? But, you know, if you 
want something, there's no free lunch in the world. You got to swallow that bitter pill and walk in that direction. Right. Nothing came out of that party at that point, <laughs> but as it does in all of these Hollywood parties, you just meet people and nothing really comes of it. But, you know, I had a great time. It was great for my sense of confidence because then, you know, nothing could deter me. If I could just swallow my pride and, you know, understand that I'm starting at the beginning and be okay with accepting that I'm not entitled and I don't come from resting on my laurels and I'm willing to put in the hard work, you know, it works out most times. I was watching an interview recently. It was interviewing Lady Gaga and she was talking about A Star is Born. And the interviewer asked her, you know, oh, they were like, oh, they made you audition? You had to audition for that role? Like, how did you feel about having to audition? And she was like, I loved it because nothing's better than people doubting me. And it made me go like, okay, you want to see what I can do? Now I'm going to show you what I can do. There's something really magical about having to, having to go through that when you haven't gone through it in a while. I'm quoting her. Do you feel like you had that sort of like, I'm going to prove you wrong? Or did you have that like, I freaking know what I am capable of. I know I can do this and I'm just going to keep following that. I didn't have a, I'm going to prove you wrong because then my whole life would have been about that. I've had naysayers my whole life because I've always thrown myself into situations that I didn't know anything about. When I won the pageants that I won, I'd come from high school. I'd never been a pageant girl. I've never modeled in my life. Didn't even know how to walk in stilettos and a sari and gowns. Like I learned on the job when I was thrown into the Indian film industry. I didn't know how to stand on your mark and, you know, learn your lines and the things, but I learned really quick. I, it was, I think, you know, when you're pushed into the deep end, you either sink or swim. And when you have that choice, you got to just swim. And I think I learned how to do that a very young in my, at, at a very young age. And, and I realized that, you know, it's only yourself that stops you. It's your fear. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I didn't feel like, you know, I, I, I didn't feel pressured and I didn't feel insecure and I didn't feel isolated or, you know, sort of solitary in my desire or my attempt to grow. But I think the one, what I did was instead of taking the pressure, I'm going to prove you wrong. What I did was I know my job and I know if I'm thrown on a film set, I know I can deliver because I come from 10 years of that experience of having worked in so many different genres of movies, played so many various kinds of roles, which I haven't even started doing in America. I've literally just played my first dramatic part in, in the U.S., you know. And after like having done 50, 60 movies there, I, I had faith in my ability. I had faith in what I bring to the table. And that gave me confidence to sort of have my eye on the prize instead of the noise, you know? Ugh, that's so good. I love that. It tell, tell us about the book, because it feels like there's a lot of wisdom in the words that you've written down that are going to inspire listeners. So can you tell us why you wanted to write it and what we can find in the pages? Well, when I first started writing it, it was, I thought it would be the easiest way to write a book. I always wanted to write a book. I've written op-eds and I was always afraid of structured writing, you know, like a novel or like a screenplay. So I was like, all right, I'm approaching 20 years in the entertainment business, you know, in 2020. So I'm going to write a book. And 
if I write a memoir, it'll be easy because I know my life. So, you know, I didn't understand the gravity of what I was taking on. When I sat down to write it, I was so overwhelmed with the fact that, you know, I didn't have any memories. I'd been running so fast for such a long time since I was a child, you know, moving around. My parents were in the military. Every two years we moved that I never had time to really remember things. So I really had to sit back, write, you know, I did, made my milestones and sort of developed around that. But I really started writing the book in quarantine when I had the luxury of time. And then it just became like a journal. It just sort of flowed out of me. And I realized that I hadn't given myself time to introspect and realize how I've gotten where I have. There were so many things I hadn't dealt with emotionally that made this book very personal. And I, if it was another time in my life, I don't think this book would have been what it is right now. And before I could stop the presses, it was printed. So now it's out there in the world. But it's very, it's surprisingly vulnerable and raw and personal. And I've never spoken about a lot of these things in my past and I probably never will in the future. It, the book caught me at a very soft time in my life, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the girl that, you know, has been through all the things that I've mentioned in the book. And when I finished reading it the first time, I remember I, I was proud of my younger self. And, you know, I was, for the first time, I wasn't hard on her. And I said, you know, good job. You navigated a lot and you got out of, you know, the other side. Okay. And that's really something. And I was grateful. I want to acknowledge that for you because having personally written about a lot of vulnerable and hard things, very few people understand what that feels like. It's like cutting open a vein and putting it on it a page. It really is. And, and not only that, but then a world of people get to consume it and have an opinion on what it what it is when does it come oh, out thanks now I didn't <laughs> even think about that and <laughs> that's I'm, what I'm, asking. I'm like when does it come out <laughs> even, even more February 9th okay no, I'm no listen this is why I said this this is why I said this because anytime that we put words like that down certainly there are going to be people who have opinions that aren't great but what you will find I promise is the people who will be forever changed because of a line that you wrote on a page. And the, I, I just think that books have this way of affecting people that very few mediums can because it just lives forever. And it truly was like your heart on a page at a moment in history. Five years from now or 10 years from now, you would have written a different book. And there's something Completely. so beautiful about having the courage to put it out there because I promise you, you will you will be blown away by the people who come back and say, like, this made me feel less alone. I thought I was the only one. Me too. Thank you. So, like, so just cling to the people who do get something out of it because I think when I'm writing, my prayer is always, God, give me just one. Give me one person yeah. that gets anything out of this, even if it was just a laugh on a hard day, because then it will be worth it. Because if you think of the millions, it's too overwhelming. And just, I just want to honor you because lots of people have stories and lots of people dream of writing a book and very few people have the courage to actually do it. 
especially with a platform as big as yours. Oh, thank you, Rachel. Those are wise words from someone with experience. I needed to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be okay. so great. I promise. I'll take your word on it. No, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> what is the title of the book and where can people find it just cuz I know they're going to want to go grab it after listening. The title of the book is called Unfinished and you can find it on various platforms. Um online amazon barnes and nobles and it's called unfinished because that's what i feel i am i feel like there's a lot i want to do and by god's grace if i get the opportunity to i would love to keep doing that's so rad oh my gosh thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me about all the things i just think that there's something so special about the willingness to be vulnerable it kind of goes back to that leaving this world that you knew leaving this world where you had and sort of okay I'm going to go back to the base of a mountain and start again and you're doing it again. You could have just right. had the Instagram be the image and have and the willingness to speak your truth is just super inspiring. So, thank you. The Rachel Hollis podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.